Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting-edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. Today's episode is a continuation in a series I'm doing on how to build adaptive capacity, which is the key for leveraging stress for growth in almost any area of your life. And today, I'm going to be discussing the second of five pillars, which is mental fitness. But before we get into the nuts and bolts of what mental fitness is, I want to start off with a story today. On March 10th, 2017, the 24-year-old Amber Van Heck, a student at the University of North Texas, set off by herself in her Ford Edge and headed out to the south rim of the Grand Canyon in Arizona on a sightseeing excursion. On March 12th, she entered Havasu Falls Trailhead into her GPS and ended up in the middle of nowhere on a road that didn't exist. But before she could turn around and make it home, she ran out of gas and she had no cell phone service. So she parked her car by the first man-made structure she could find. And she spent the next five days eating nuts, seeds, and dried fruit and cooking ramen noodles on the dashboard of her car at the hottest times of the day. She even spelled out the word help and big rocks, hoping that like a plane flying over or something would find her. But after five days, nobody came. There was no rescue in sight. And so she decided to walk until she could get a cell phone signal. She ended up walking 11 miles until she finally got a signal. But then halfway through her call, her phone went dead. So not knowing what was going to happen, she just turned around and started walking back. Amber got lucky. On her way back to the car, she was rescued by an air ambulance, and after being taken to the hospital, she didn't have any significant injuries outside of some sore feet for walking over 20 miles. I don't know about you, but running out of gas in the desert by yourself without a cell phone, without cell phone reception, I mean, that could be one of the scariest things that I could imagine. But right now, there are millions of people out of gas, exhausted, with no idea what to do. They are burnout and without hope. According to the American Psychological Association, burnout and stress are at an all-time high across all professions. And just several weeks ago, the U.S. Preventative Task Force got a bunch of doctors together and they basically suggested that all Americans under the age of 65 be screened for anxiety. I mean, these numbers are staggering. Over 50% of workers report being burnout. Nearly three in five employees report negative impacts of work-related stress. 36% report cognitive weariness. 32% report emotional exhaustion. 44% report physical fatigue. That's up 38% from 2019. And the research is pretty clear that when you exceed your capacity to adapt to stress, your health declines, your mood suffers, you engage in self-destructive behaviors, and you give up on your goals. If the story just ended there, that would be really depressing. But as we've already discussed, there is a way to move past this, and that is to build adaptive capacity so that you can do more with less cost. You can take on more physical and mental stress. But I think it's worth taking just a moment to rewind for a second and talking about how stress makes us feel. I know many of you have probably heard somebody say lately, man, I'm stressed out. And that phrase has become so common. They're basically kind of numb to it. But in this context, 
It means experiences that elicit feelings of anxiety and frustration that threaten our security or push us beyond our ability to successfully cope. And stress comes from a lot of different sources or what you would call a stressor. It can be a relationship, could be finances, could be politics, it could be exercise. If exercise goes unchecked, it can lead to burnout and injuries. And when stress leaches a toxic level, you feel stressed out or depressed. You can lose sleep or you can overindulge in things like alcohol and food. And this is when people start gaining weight and they're not as productive at work because your tank is drained. You don't have the capacity to adapt to more stress. And that's where building this adaptive capacity is the unlock for being able to take on more stress. We also discussed previously, I'm not going to go into all the detail on the stress system. You can go back and learn about that in the previous episodes. But despite what you may have heard, this stress system is not some prehistoric system designed for us to just fight or flee predators. It's not this awful thing that we need to get rid of. Yes, short-term stress can bring unpleasant thoughts and feelings, but stress is not the enemy. As my friend, Dr. Alex Arbach, director of wellness and development from the Toronto Raptors, who's actually coming on the show, he said, stress is our brain and body preparing us to do something effortful. Stress is the gateway to growth. If you want to get stronger, you stress the body. If you want to learn a new skill, you have to deliberately engage in the difficult task of learning. Even relationships. How many times have you heard somebody say, man, I, I, I was in a tough relationship, but I came out the other side stronger. So stress is a generic system designed to mobilize other systems in the brain and body for action. This could be immunological, physical, social action. And because the response is generic in nature, there are tools at our disposal that we can use to regulate it. And in the next episode, we're going to talk about those tools. But the nervous system, specifically the brain, is what determines what events are stressful. The nervous system creates sensations, perceptions, thoughts, feelings, and actions. It also controls our vital functions, things that you don't think about but that are occurring all the time, like your heart rate or respiration or digestion. And your nervous system regulates your level of arousal, which is this delicate balance between being in a state of alertness and a state of calm. Okay, so at the extreme state, like if you go all the way up the scale on the alert side is like panic, paranoia, okay? Then there's like states of being stressed and then highly alert and then alert and then it kind of goes to being kind of calm, maybe drowsy into deep sleep and then all the way at the extreme end of calm is coma, okay? So there are positives and negatives to all these parts of the spectrum. Let's say you're driving your car and all of a sudden somebody pulls out in the intersection. Guess what happens? Man, you ramp up that state of of alertness. You're able to swerve, miss a car. When you exercise, uh, you move up that state um, to more of a state of high alertness. And we're going to talk about the physiological things that happen here in just a second. What you don't want to do is you don't want to get stuck on that side. That is really bad for mental and physical health and well-being. Now on the calm side of the spectrum, we talked about sleep before. Deep sleep is amazing. It's restorative for the mind and body. It reinforces learning and neuroplasticity. So the ideal state is a state of alert calmness. Okay, so when your sympathetic nervous system, that alert side of the system is activated, uh, what happens? Well, 
first of all, the sympathetic nervous system has nothing to do with sympathy, rather a bundle of nerves that run from the neck to the navel. And they, when the sympathetic nervous system is activated, catecholamines are released into your blood, like adrenaline and epinephrine. Your heart rate speeds up, your pupils dilate, blood is shifted from your gut, from your digestive system to working muscles so that you can, you're biased for action. Your throat gets dry, your palm gets sweaty. It's like go time. This is a good thing that you can harness for things like exercise, focusing on a hard work project, maybe getting you up on stage to do a presentation. But again, your body doesn't want to hang out there. And that's where we got into this conversation of allostasis, which is your body's attempt to maintain stability through change. Your body doesn't want a bunch of perturbations internally. So you're trying to keep a consistent internal environment. Now, we talked about that there is a cost for every adaptation that's called allostatic load, but to lower that cost, okay, to improve our ability to take on more stress, we have to build adaptive capacity. And now there's these five pillars we're going through. Sleep was the first one. Sleep is our body's primary recovery mechanism. We talked about all the wonderful things that happen with sleep. The next one I want to focus on is mental fitness. And I painted this backstory because it's really critical to understand that your ability to regulate your state of arousal is critical for moving down that continuum and not being stuck in a state of high alert or a sympathetic state because that has a massive cost on the body. I want to start by telling you a story that my friend Dr. Peter Haverell told me. There is a cyclist. His name is Sir Chris Hoy. He is the greatest Olympic cyclist of all time. Six time gold medalist. I mean, this guy is amazing. He's been He's got Sir in front of his name, so he's obviously a big deal. And when he described what it was like to race in his first Olympic finals, he said it felt like he was going to the gallows. This guy said he felt like he was going to be executed. That's how intense of a situation it was. Now, this is, again, not just any cyclist. This is the best in the history of the sport. And there is this myth that champions or the elite in their field, entrepreneurs, leaders in business, um, teachers, whatever, the best of the best, that they never experience uncomfortable thoughts and feelings. And this is simply not true. If the outcome of a future event or experience is uncertain and important, you should expect to feel uncomfortable. Let me say that again. If the outcome of a future event or experience is uncertain and it's important to you, you should expect to feel uncomfortable. But the way you feel does not determine or it does not need to determine how you perform. And this brings us to this concept of mental fitness. I think you would agree that when the pressure comes, what you want is to be in control and you want to be able to take action in the way that would uh, represent you the best. And this is how here at AIM7 that we define mental fitness. Mental fitness is the ability to be consciously present and process information without bias. This empowers you to respond quickly and rationally to changing circumstances through committed actions based or rooted in your values. What you want to be able to do is when pressure comes, you want to be able to take action based off of who you are and what you value. Dr. Haberl, who's come on the show before, says goals are a destination, but values are about a direction. Goals are about the future. Values are about the right here and right now. Goals are 
you know, something that are amazing to obtain, but values are enduring qualities that do not change. You know, once you hit a goal, it's checked off, but your values are something that are consistent. And when you have control, okay, then you can, can take actions based off of those values. And one of the best tools to improve mental fitness is mindfulness. Now, I just want to say this right here, right now. Mindfulness is not a spiritual practice. Yes, there are people that do meditation for religious purposes. Okay, that's fine. But the practice of mindfulness is not about religion. It's not about relaxation. It's about attention. Remember Chris Hoy, Sir Chris Hoy? He said it felt like he was going to the gallows. Well, he went on to explain that what he would do in the moment, he would grip his steering wheel. He would feel his shoes in the clips and he would focus on the start. See, what he was doing was he was shifting his attention. He was mindful of his state and he would shift attention to what he needed to do, the action that he needed to take. And my friend, Dr. Peter Haberl says it the best. I love this phrase. Attention is the currency of performance. What mindfulness trains us to do is to take control of our attention, to place it where we want it, when we want it there. And in crucible situations, the key is you must be open to these unpleasant sensations, thoughts, and feelings. And if you're open to it, then emotion won't get in the way of your performance. And mindfulness is an excellent practice for recognizing, hey, the emotion, the feeling, the butterflies are coming. Now I'm going to shift my attention. In the next episode, we're going to talk about the benefits of mindfulness how to do mindfulness. We're also going to talk about some breathwork tools you can use in the moment to regulate your state of arousal. And we're going to be talking about gratitude. Let me just close by saying this. I love to exercise. Okay. I was a performance coach for a long time, but what separated the elite from the sub elite typically was not physical prowess. It had everything to do between what was going on between the ears. And I believe that in the next 15 to 20 years, the mental domain is where there's the most to be gained. And so we're going to talk about exercise coming up soon. That's one of the pillars. But if you really want to unlock your potential and you want to get control over regulating your emotions in the moment so that you can consistently achieve your performance potential, do not miss out on training the mind and putting into practice the things that we are talking about. Thanks again for listening to the Blueprint Podcast. And if you want to support the show, please leave us a comment and review on whichever listening platform you are joining us from, as this is one of the best ways that you can support the show. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.